That is not an official presentation. I understand that, but uh, I just wanted you to get a glimpse of some of the good things. God's been very good to us. Um, we've got a lot of things that we're trying to do, hope to get done this year. Uh, the pandemic has taken an effect. Guam is still on lockdown. Uh, we're, our doors can be open. We're not supposed to have over 20 people there. I called my wife. I think Sunday they had about 90 there Sunday, so praise the Lord for that. I just said, make sure the young people are in the alley in the back and make sure you got, if anybody comes in from the health department, you know, everybody scatter. We'll do the best we can. You have to have a mask on everywhere you go. I told someone, they built a McDonald's close to our house. You pull up through the drive-thru. You cannot give your money. You can't even get your food unless you have a mask on in your car. Um, you can't buy gas without a mask uh, for a while. They did roadblocks, other things. We're just praying they're going to open things up pretty soon. Um, but uh, that's, I will say that, and that seems negative, but God's still saving. Amen. God's still saving. Amen. You say, you can't go knock doors, you'll get arrested. You can still give out the gospel. You can still give out the gospel. If I see somebody on the side of the road, I can stop and talk to them about the Lord. If I see someone in their front yard, I can stop and strike up a conversation. I might not be able to go door to door, but I can talk to people. We can. We sure can. So uh, praise the Lord for that. The book of Ezra, chapter number 8. The book of Ezra, chapter number 8. Again, it's an honor to be with you this evening. Ezra, chapter number 8. Let's keep the mission work or the mission um, objective. Let's keep it simple. And I like simplicity. And basically it's this. God loves the world. God sent his son to this world to die, be buried, and rise again. God wants everybody saved. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God calls certain people to specific locations so that the gospel can be given to them. And God expects the local church to finance it. Amen? Now that is the, the, the missions department. That is the mission objective of the church. God loves sinners. God wants to save them. God calls people to certain and specific locations across this globe. And God expects his church to finance it. And that's what it's all about. And all of us are to be involved. Amen? And so that's really what we're talking about when it comes to missions. But tonight, I do want to look at something perhaps I can challenge us. Look at verse 24 of Ezra chapter number 8. The Bible says, Then I separated twelve of the chief of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them. And I weighed unto them the silver and the gold, the vessels, even the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I even weighed unto their hand 650 talents of silver, of silver vessels 100 talents, and of gold 100 talents. Also 20 basins of gold of 1,000 drams and two vessels of fine copper, precious as gold. And I said unto them, You are holy unto the Lord. The vessels are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. Let's pray. We'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. And Lord, I'm excited about being here. I'm nervous about being here. And I pray, God, that you'll calm our nerves this evening. And Lord, that you'll help us 
present the message as you would want it presented. Challenge us. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God do a work in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the, where is the principal of the Christian school here? Who's over? The, you're the man. Okay, I'm probably going to say a few things about the principal tonight. How many of y'all go to the Christian school here? Okay, do we have any kindergartners here? Any K-5? Oh, okay, K-5. There's a couple of them right there. Well, in 1975, I went to kindergarten. <laughs> how about that? Uh, you said you didn't want to talk about how old I was. I'm old. 1975, I went to kindergarten in Campbell, Missouri, Calvary Baptist Academy. They opened up that year, and I was the first kindergartner. In fact, there was one other kindergartner. His name was Ricky Lipsy. We were the only two in kindergarten. We went a half a day, and I'll never forget, at uh, noon, the teacher would take us back home, uh, and she had one of those purple vans. It's kind of like the Scooby-Doo van, only it was painted purple, all right? Y'all know who Scooby-Doo is. And anyway, so it's one of those vans, and, and I would go home at noon every day. Pretty exciting. Ricky Lipsy mi missed a lot of school, and because he missed a lot of school, some days I was the only student, the only kindergartner in kindergarten. And man, that was great. You had everything that day. But anyway, so school. <clears throat> and, and I remember, you know, letters and sounds and phonics and numbers and all those things as a kindergartner. Calvary Baptist Academy. Now, every nine weeks, I believe it was, they would give us a report card. Now, I don't remember everything about that report card, but I do know that they graded you, obviously, on the classes, letters and sounds, phonics, numbers, whatever, Bible, scripture, memory, that was part of it, Bible class, and we got the letter grade, A, B, C, D, hopefully you didn't get anything worse than that, but you had that, and then the, the, the real important thing, though, was at the bottom. Now, I don't know how you do report cards now, but back then, they had like three checkmark places and three uh, uh, things down at the bottom, three categories. Number one was like attendance. Number two was uh, um, obedience. And number three was another category. I can't remember what that was. But I know next to it was a, a box. And if the teacher put a check mark in that box, that meant that she had had problems with you in that particular area. In other words, Ricky Lipsy always had one in attendance because he struggled being at school. And they had one for obedience, and I can't remember what the third one was, but I'm going to tell you something. There was something that scared me. I was always scared to get a check, box, or check mark in a box because this was the drill. You had to take the report card home, and you had to have mom and dad sign it, okay? They would sign it, and then the next day, first thing in the morning, you had to go see the principal. The principal was Brother Clifford Rice. He's in heaven now. And I was scared to death of Brother Clifford Rice because this is what they said. If you have a check mark and you go see Clifford Rice, get ready, you're going to get licks. You're getting a paddling. No questions. I mean, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to take your side. I mean, it wasn't going to be, you could plead for your life. No questions. If there was a check mark, you were getting a paddling. Now, with my family, it was something much worse because if I got licks at school, when I came home, there was mom, and I got licks immediately at 3.30. 
And I knew dad was coming home at 5.30 and there was going to be a second round, even more severe, when dad got home. That's the way it was. In fact, there were no questions. It didn't matter if I had tears. It didn't matter if I was laughing. It didn't matter if I had a, even a good excuse. No, 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 no. You had a check mark in the box. You're getting paddling from Brother Rice. You're getting one from your mom. And you're getting one from your dad. That's just the way it was. And I'll never forget that first nine weeks. I got my report card. And I got the report card and had decent grades on the classes. But when I looked down at the bottom, my heart broke. Because next to that obedience category, there was a check mark. Apparently, I struggled in that area. <laughs> so, I got to take it to my mom and dad. You can't hide it. They're going to have to sign it. And I'm going to have to see Brother Rice tomorrow, and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be quite honest with you. As a kindergartner, that was traumatic. I don't think I slept that night. I didn't sleep that night because I knew I had to go see Brother Rice. And I knew Brother Rice wasn't going to ask any questions. I knew Brother Rice was going to give me what he said he was going to give me. And I knew that he was going to take the side of authority, the teacher. And I knew my parents were going to take the side of the teacher. And I dreaded that meeting with Brother Clifford Rice. In fact, to this day, I still think about walking in his office. And it wasn't one of those meetings that I want to repeat. Brother Clifford Rice, I had to go see him. I'm going to come back to that story, but I want you to look at your Bibles to the book of Ezra, chapter 8. This is a phenomenal story. I need three people that can help me. Do we have three young men that can help me? Could you all pick out three guys that could help me? Three? I need three guys. Three guys. And I need you to bring two or three songbooks with you, okay? Three guys bring three songbooks with you. I'll tell about this story over in the book of Ezra, chapter 8. Phenomenal, phenomenal chapter. You say, what do you mean we're talking about gold and silver and weighing it and that type of thing? I understand, but this is a great story. In the book of Ezra, we understand this. In the book of Ezra, the children of Israel had been held captive for a long time. And now that it has been decreed by a heathen king that they can go back to Jerusalem. You see, years before this, you guys just stand right there, okay? I'll get back with y'all, but y'all just I just want to know you're available, okay? Years before this, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and taken the Jerusalem captive and had carried off the good young men and the dignitaries and all those things. That had happened years prior to this. In fact, the temple had been destroyed. The walls had been broken down. And something interesting happened when, when, they, when they broke into the temple and tore the temple down. Here's what they did. They took all the gold and the silver from the temple. Now, it's an unbelievable story. Nebuchadnezzar took all the gold and the silver from the temple there in Jerusalem and took it all the way back to Babylon. And it wasn't just four or $500 worth of silver and gold. We're talking about big money. We're talking about, if you were to look at today's value, millions and millions of dollars worth. We're talking about so many tons of silver, so many tons of gold, so many uh, golden, uh, or there, there were silver uh, vessels, there were copper vessels, there were uh, other types of things that were worth lots of money. And when they destroyed the temple, they took all that valuable stuff back to Babylon. Now, in the book of Ezra, 
there is a new heathen king and he decrees that those captives in Babylon can go back to Jerusalem. In fact, it's an awesome story. You ought to read Ezra and Nehemiah. The heathen king helped finance them to go back. It's unbelievable. We'll get to that, or you can read about that later on. But here's what I want you to see tonight. In the book of Ezra, they're going to go back, and not only are they are going to rebuild the temple, they're going to reinstitute Levitical law and the Levitical worship and all those things. And anyway, here's what a heathen king says. Blows my mind. He said, I know you're going to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. It's a 950-mile trip. It's going to take you four and a half months. I want you to go back to your city of Jerusalem. I know that as a heathen king, or I know as a king that does not necessarily believe in your God, I know it's kind of different here, but I do want you to go back. And by the way, when you go back, all that gold and silver that was stolen years ago, take it back with you. Now, you ought to read this story, and some people sometimes look at me like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about tons of silver and tons of gold, millions and millions of dollar value. The heathen king said, take it back with you. Take it back to Jerusalem with you. And we come to chapter 8, and we're going to find that they're going to take this gold and this silver all the way back to Jerusalem, 950 miles Four and a half month journey, they're going to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem with all that gold and silver. Now, here's what you got to see tonight. Look what they did. Look at verse number 24. Then I separated 12 of the chief of the priest, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren. All right, guys, come out here. We have Sherebiah right here. Okay, Sherebiah, you stand right there, Sherebiah. This is Hashabiah. Hashabiah, you come here. They didn't give you a name. We need another name. We'll call you... Uh, see, we got, uh, we got uh, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and uh, Norman. This is Norman. Perfect. That's it. We're going with Norman. I like it. That's great. All right. So here we got Sherebiah, Hashabiah. Very good. And he's the principal. He's the guy I'm going to pick on tonight. Norman. Very good. So they're going to take these men, 12 of them, and they're going to make them responsible for taking two and a half tons of gold. 24 tons of silver from Babylon back to Jerusalem. 950 miles, four and a half month journey. And you got to think about this. With all this gold and silver, you're now a target. Everybody in the world's coming after you. But here's what they do, and this is what you got to see tonight. Before they left, the Bible says, now this is not the kind of scales that they had back in the day, Okay. This is a cheap $8 Walmart scale, all right? I've got a scale here. And we're going to use this tonight because this is important. Here's what they did. <clears throat> they went over to the scales and they weighed the gold. And after they weighed it, they wrote down how much it was. For instance, three tons of gold. And they wrote it down. And they said, Sherebiah, you're Sherebiah, here's three tons of gold. And then they went back to the scales and they got two tons of silver. And they weighed it. It was two tons. They wrote it down. Hashabiah, two tons. Now Hashabiah has two tons. And then they went back to the scales and they put down, we got three tons of copper vessels. And they took the three tons, and they wrote it down, Norman, 
three times. And they went over here, and they gave three tons to Norman. Now, this is interesting. They weighed it, and then they wrote it down. And they said, okay, we're going to go on our journey. Let's go. We got four and a half months, 950 miles. Let's go all the way here. I want you to stand right here. And when they got to Jerusalem, something interesting happened. The Bible says the priest went to each one. They took the scales and they weighed it. Three tons. Let's see, how much did we give him? Oh, three tons for Sherebiah. Very good. And then we took the next guy, Hashabiah. They put it on the scales in Jerusalem and they weighed it. Two tons. Good for Hashabiah. And they went to Norman. They took his copper vessels. They put it on the scales. Three tons. And then it went to the book. Three times. You see, what they did in these verses is very, very important. Before they left Babylon, they weighed it. They wrote it down. And then when they got to Jerusalem, they said, beware, because the priests are going to weigh it again to make sure nothing's lost, to make sure nothing's stolen, to make sure nothing has been thrown away or wasted, to make sure that they are accountable for that which was given to them in Babylon. Now, that is an interesting story. That's what takes place in Ezra chapter 8. But let me just observe a couple of things real quickly. And I want you to think about something that would be relative to today. Number one is this. God knows exactly what he's given you in this journey called life. Now, listen to me. God knows. Come over here, share by. God knows exactly what he's put in your care in this journey called life. He knows how much time he's given you. He knows how many opportunities that he's given you. He knows how much money he's given you. He knows how about your testimony. He knows about the abilities and the capabilities and those things. I want you to understand something. God knows you, and in this journey called life, God has carefully measured it. And God has carefully weighed it, and he's written it down in a book. He knows exactly what he's given you for this four-and-a-half-month journey called life. And that should somehow sober us tonight to know that God has kept a record in heaven, and he knows how much time he has given me. He knows the abilities that he's given me. He knows the opportunities that he's going to give me. He knows all these things about my life, and he's carefully measured it, and he's carefully weighed it. And by the way, I would say as a second observation, God knows what he's given you, but God expects you to protect it in this journey called life. Go on, Sherebiah. Four and a half month journey, 950 miles. Every thief in the world wanted what those guys had, but there was going to be a way in in Jerusalem. And God said, as Ezra told them, God knows what he's given you and God expects you to 
carefully protect that which he's given to you. Because the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And there are some people that will waste that which God has given to them, like the prodigal son. There are some people who will trade that which God has given them, like Esau did. There are some people, like Saul, that will simply give it away. And there are some people, like, like Samson, who will have it stolen from them. The reality is this. God knows exactly what he's given you. He has measured it and carefully weighed it in this journey called life. And someday we must understand there's going to be a time when God says, it's time to weigh it. Let's see what you did with it. Let's see if you still have it. Did you lose it? Did someone steal it? Did you give it away? Did you waste it? And I think it's a sobering thought tonight to realize that someday there's going to be a way in. And the books will be opened. I want to give you three words tonight. Three simple words. And we'll go through these words very, very quickly, I promise Three simple words tonight. The first word, this is how I preach to our people in Guam. I have to really preach kind of in low gear there, so it's nice to be able to kind of get in a little high gear. But I use a lot of words that we associate things with them. The first word tonight is the word appointment, okay? The word appointment. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And everybody in this room, Hebrews 9, 27 has an appointment with death. In Genesis 5, verse 5, the first time these words are recorded in Scripture, and he died, Genesis 5, 5. I want us to understand, for the wages of sin is death, and everybody in this room has an appointment with death. I mentioned I preached a funeral from a, a Cape Girada uh, uh, um, uh, hotel the other day that was actually, on, I believe, on the 17th. It was the same day that Rush Limbaugh died. I was in his hometown when he died, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I want you to understand it. 70 years of age, Rush Limbaugh had an appointment with death. And everybody in this room has an appointment with death. And it's not one of those appointments that you can call and reschedule. It's not one of those appointments you can say, phooey, I'm not going this time. It's not one of those appointments you can say, well, I'm going to send somebody else in my place. It is an appointment that you have, and you're going to go to that appointment, and there's no getting around it. You are going to die someday. There is an appointment. It's amazing to me when I have an appointment, as I do tomorrow at 1 o'clock with my tax man in South Haven, Mississippi, I have been preparing for that day. In fact, I spent three hours this morning in a hotel room just trying to prepare for my tax day tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And it's amazing when we have an appointment. If I have to go to the doctor several weeks before I go to the doctor or before I go to the Navy doctor there on the island, I stop eating the fried foods. I start trying to exercise. I get on my bike a little more. I start trying to, you know, eat a little more healthy. You know why? I have an appointment. When I go to the dentist, boy, I tell you, before I go to the dentist, let's brush up a little more. Let's do a, you know, let's get everything ready. I mean, let's even floss. We're going to do all those. By the way, I've got this crazy thing about brushing my teeth. I love, I, I, I don't say I love to brush my teeth, but I kind of have a, some type of phobia. I had to brush my teeth. When I'm on an airplane, it takes 30 hours to get from Guam to Tokyo to Houston to St. Louis or whatever. It takes a long time. About every two hours, I brush my teeth on an airplane. 
So in my little bag, I keep a toothbrush and toothpaste. I don't know, it's just one of those things I do. But the point is this. If I'm going to the dentist, I'm going to brush up, I'm going to floss. And it's amazing to me when we have a big appointment how our behavior changes. Well, I want us to understand something tonight. We all have an appointment with death. It's an appointment we cannot reschedule. It's something that's going to happen. It ought to change our behavior. So number one is the word appointment. Number two, here's the second word. It's called the word appearance. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to all that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Notice, we must all appear. There's going to be an appearance. And I understand the judgment seat of Christ is just for the saved people. Lost people will be judged at the white throne judgment. But we that are saved are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there is going to be an appearance before the Lord God. By the way, I am not going to be judged for my sin. That was taken care of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Praise the Lord for that. When I got saved, that penalty is gone. Don't have to worry about it. I mean, mom and dad used to say, you know, the big screen's going to come up and every one of your sins is going to be shown to the world. I lived in fear. And boy, how excited I was when I figured out that's not going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. There is going to be an appearance before the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be quite honest with you, I was not happy about seeing Brother Rice. And to be quite honest, I do not look forward to the day that I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of people say, boy, it's going to be a high-five moment. It's going to be one of those great World Series moments. No, it's not. When I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be an appearance. And you're going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to give an account for a few things. There is an appointment. There is an appearance. I'm amazed in the Bible how people changed when they met God. And I think it would be best if we would meet God before we ever died. Amen? I think it'd be good for Christians to meet with God on a daily basis. Joshua met with God and fell on his face. Moses met with God and he tried to hide his face. Peter met with God and he wept bitterly. How's it going to be when you meet with God? So number one is the word appointment. Number two is the word appearance. Number three, here's the third word. It's called accountability. They got to Jerusalem and the priest pulled out the scales and they pulled out the books and they said, Hashabiah, let's see what we've done. I gave you two tons. It shows that you have two tons. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hold this one. You stole it from me. Sherebiah goes to the scales. Can you imagine? Two tons of gold. Let's see what the book says. Three tons. What'd you do with it? Can you imagine? Going before the priests, then putting the gold on the scales, and it doesn't measure up. You listen, you're going to give an account someday. You're going to stand before Almighty God, He's going to pull out the scales. He's going to open the books and he's going to ask you, what'd you do with it? And I thought Brother Rice was hard. Brother Rice, 
It didn't matter what excuse I had. And by the way, according to Romans 2 and 3, it doesn't matter what excuse you have. Well, God, I, I couldn't go to the mission field. I, I, there's just no way I could do that. That's just not me. I didn't have the personality. What kind of excuse are you going to come up with? God, I couldn't give to missions because what excuse do you have? Think about it. He's going to put it on the scales. And there will be a time of accountability. I didn't want to go see Brother Rice. And I'll be quite honest with you. I'm kind of nervous and scared about standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's going to reveal to me that which he put in my hand many, many years ago. And he's going to ask me, what'd you do with it? I want you to understand when it comes to missions, God wants to save the world. God calls certain people to go to specific locations so that the gospel can be given and God expects his church to finance it. And one of these days, we all are going to give an account. You see, the report card will be given. And if there's a check mark in the box, we're going to pay a price. Praise God, we'll still be saved. Praise God, we're going to heaven. But boy, I tell you what, wouldn't it be good? Norman? Let's see what you got. And God opens up the book and says, Norman, three times? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I wonder, will God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant to you? You know, it's interesting. When you have a missions conference, missionaries come, they present their work. You see the images. You see their burden on the screen. You see the need. Uh, but how many of us are going to do something about the need? Uh, I'm reminded, it's the story of Kevin Carter. I don't know if you know about Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter <clears throat> was, he uh, grew up in South Africa. Who, are you South Africa? There you go. In fact, uh, he was going to join the, I think he did join the military. He went AWOL, and then after a while, they when you go AWOL in the military, they, they tend to come after you. And I think he fulfilled his commitment. Then he decided after his military service, he wanted to do something that was going to affect the world. He became a photojournalist. And he went to war-torn places across the world. And he took pictures of um, disease and death and war just to show people of the world the plight of how people lived. I believe it was in 1992, after he became a photojournalist, he was in the country of Sudan, and Sudan was experiencing a war. He was taking pictures with his team, and he noticed a little child crawling across the sand, had an enlarged belly because of malnutrition, child barely breathing. And he thought, I'm going to take a picture of that. And he knelt down. And he took his camera and he began to focus on the little child. And he noticed behind the child there was a vulture on a rock. And he got it all on the screen there and he thought, that's kind of interesting. It's almost as if that vulture were looking at that child as if waiting for that child to take its last breath. He took the photograph and hurried and went to another area to take more photographs. 
It was a couple of months later that picture ran on the front page of the New York Times. You can look up the photograph. It's a very powerful photograph. Child in the sand, about two years old, a vulture on a rock behind it, just perched. Immediately, people began to call the New York Times and they began to ask this question. What happened to the child? Did the child live? Did the child die? Did they help the child? Did they feed the child? What did they do for the child? One of the things about the story is this. He was haunted by that. In fact, it was said in his own words that people ask him often, what happened to the child? Did you do anything for the child? If you know the story, it was a few months later, Kevin Carter took his own life. Now, here's the sad thing. He took a picture of the problem, but he didn't fix the problem. And I'm often reminded that we as Baptists, we do the same thing. We see the pictures on the screen. We see the plight of people. We understand that they're dying without Christ. And in our mind, we say, boy, I see it. But do we do anything about it? That's what a missions conference is all about. We have a chance not only to see the problem, we have a chance to do something. We can surrender and go, or we can finance someone else to go. So I would hope tonight that we'd understand we're going to give an account. Let's make sure that we are fixing the problem, that we're not just focusing on the problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. I pray that you'd bless all that takes place this evening. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Help us to do our part so that the gospel will get to the entire world. We know this is what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Altar's open. I don't think anything else needs to be said. I do think there's a lot that needs to be done. The message we heard last night says we need to see the need. We've seen the need. Now there's people that are willing to go to the need, but now somebody has to give to the need. The need is there. There are people willing to go. Now here's the question, are we willing to give? Take up thy cross Every dime of money that is designated to missions in this church goes. Nothing stays, it goes. The need is there. Some are willing to go. Who's willing to give?